Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Brittany Bussey is the co-founder, president, and CMO of Vital Health. In this episode, we talk about why she's building Vital Health, why building trust is key to a direct primary care model, the power of telehealth, and why treating ourselves better will help us become better clinicians. This is a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Thank you for joining me today, Brittany. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Zane. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for asking. Um, for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Dr. Brittany Bussey. I am the president and chief medical officer of a company called Vital Health. Um, what we do at Vital Health is we provide digital health technology solutions to physicians who want to start their own independent private practice. So among those solutions, we have a proprietary electronic medical record. We have remote patient monitoring and chronic care management that's integrated, as well as health coaching for your patients. We also have physician communities where physicians can meet with each other, can discuss what's going on in medicine, can network, um, can provide referrals to specialists if they need to, and really just creating a whole ecosystem around physicians so that you have everything you truly need to have an independent practice so that you feel completely independent, but never alone. That's um, quite a list. That's amazing. How long have you guys been around for? So we actually started Vital Health back in 2020. I was working for another company at the time and really struggling even in the first early stages of the pandemic um, with my mental health and trying to avoid just being completely overwhelmed by the amount of work that was coming my way. Um, you know, those first couple months we thought, oh, this isn't too bad. There were a few patients here and there that needed assessments for COVID-19, but then rapidly during the summer months and into the fall, we saw a huge increase in the amount of patients who needed assessments, who needed work clearances. And I was literally speaking to over 100 to 150 patients per day. Um, And I wasn't getting through all of the backlog that was assigned to me, even at like the max rate that I could be calling people. And that left zero time for relationship building. I was calling patients who were, some of them in the hospital, some of them whose family members had died, um, some who were completely isolated from their families and had no other contact. And I couldn't give them more than two or three minutes of my time. And it was really painful for me as a physician to be put in that situation, honestly, because as a physician, we want to help people. It's why we went into medicine. We want to create relationships that really benefit the health of individuals. And this was just a machine to churn out like results for, for employers, for clearances all day long. And it really wasn't the work, the true heart work of being a doctor. And it's something that was was magnifying what was already a problem in, you know, the traditional healthcare space, whether you're employed at a hospital or for a healthcare system, and you just feel like an RVU factory, or you're working um, for like a teledoc or other large telehealth organization, and you're getting paid, you know, $10, $20 per patient consult, like, it's just, you feel like a factory worker at that point, not like a, a really highly trained, highly educated, highly experienced knowledge worker that you really are. And that's truly devastating for physicians, right? This shallow work is depleting us. 
and it's an abuse of our, our knowledge and our power. So in 2020, getting back to the question, I wanted to take that power back. And I thought the best way to take our power back was to create a company that that values the independent physician, that doesn't treat them like contractors, that doesn't treat them as employees, that treats them as clients and goes out of our way to provide services to them, you know, from our hearts to theirs and to help them heal from any experiences that they've had in employment um, and help them move forward with the strength that they have inside of them. Yeah. And I think that you touched on something. I mean, it wasn't just the amount of work that was kind of bringing you down and I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but I mean, I can really definitely relate to this. It's not the amount of work, it's just the type of work. And the fact that you're not, mm -hmm. I think most of us are okay with a lot of work as long as we're able to do, like build those relationships and do the things that we were trained to do, all those things. I think that's why I hate like burnout just being used as a global term because it's not really attacking the problem. When people hear burnout, they just think, oh, it's the HR or it's just the amount of work. Mm -hmm. It's not just that. It's also the fact that we feel like we cannot help anyone and we're we're in a we're we're machines and we're not we're not machines right healthcare is the exact opposite of machine we have to have empathy we have to have you know the human connection and that's not possible with a two minute interaction over a phone no definitely not i mean it's a, really the difference between was defined as like deep work versus shallow work right deep work is incredibly enjoyable it can get you into a flow state it's utilizing all of your unique um, trainings, your unique interests to solve problems, right? That's what we do as clinicians. We really approach every problem from our unique viewpoint. And you're right, when we're not given enough time to even process or think about what's happening or create a relationship with the patient that provides us with the information that we need to solve the problem, then we're stuck doing a bunch of shallow administrative work like diagnosis, check, prescription, check, diagnosis, check, prescription, check. And that's so repetitive that it, it, it becomes very mind numbing and also soul crushing. Yeah. And I think soul crushing is the right word. That's the word I use all the time. And I think mm -hmm. and I use it specifically because it, it invokes an emotion and it should, like when you hear that word, when people are saying that you should feel like, okay, that is how we felt like that's, that's how I felt, uh, during that time period. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you guys, I mean, for, I mean, so you guys are offering like a digital health platform, EMR solution, RPM solution, chronic care management, uh, you know, a community of physicians. And you said that in that community, you can have referrals back and forth too. Is this kind of like a, are you guys trying to build a platform for like a DTC type model or is it, or is this a model that, or you, or they can build it like being part of a pair group as well? Yeah, you can build it however you want. So we have revenue cycle management and billing services also built into our portal. Um, we have credentialing as well as provider enrollment. I know physicians hate that word, provider, but that's what they call it, provider enrollment. So if you want to be with an insurance company, um, we have to step you through that process. So we integrate with blockchain solutions um, for your digital credentialing wallet. And then our third-party source will take that information and get you credentialed and verified within any provider network that you want to be in. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, you know, many physicians who work in insurance do feel like that's extremely limiting, right? Like you're receiving the, the payment that they say that you can receive and you really become beholden to them in the same way you do to any other employer. Um, you have to deliver on a certain quality and you have to meet certain benchmarks and stuff like that in order to bill certain CPT codes. So we understand that that's really taxing on, on physicians. So we do really want to encourage them if they're interested to go that direct payment route um, and connect with patients directly. I think the future of medicine and relationships should be physician to patient. They should not include so many middlemen. And the goal of Vital Health is either to connect the physician directly to the patient or connect the physician groups that we have set up directly to employers and kind of be that that connection source for them so they don't have to go out and market themselves directly to employers, um, especially large employers. So I think where DPC tends to, to 
to not work as well is that you're trying to get to employer groups and large employers, especially nationwide employers, can't contract to just one local physician, right? Like they need to contract two physicians who are in every state and city that they operate in. Um, and so when you become part of a cooperative like ours, because I don't like to call us a network because we're not a network. There's no hierarchy here. You know, you're not reporting to me as the chief medical officer. No one's looking over your shoulder. Like we're truly a cooperative where each member has a say and each member is independent and autonomous. So within our cooperative, though, you would have access to larger employers because the employer feels they're signing up for the full physician cooperative, not simply just with one doctor who happens to live down the street from their business. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. And, you know, I talk to a lot of physicians, just healthcare people in general, and all of us come to the same conclusion that we are to a point where we just need to take control of our own destiny and we need to just separate ourselves from you know, the payer system, the, all mm -hmm. that stuff, because they're, I'm, I'm trying not to get in trouble right now. Uh, they were well, built, hey, podcast. <laughs> they were built to protect, you know, patients from overbilling, all that stuff. And I think that it was all created for like a good purpose, right? But now it's almost to the point where they, you know, like, like I have examples where I work in oncology, we had standard of care denied constantly. So we had to go through the whole like faxing them stuff, getting, you know, peer to peers and all that stuff. And while the patient's at home freaking out, like, oh, my mm -hmm. God, I can't start my therapy. And then the peer to peer happens. It's like a five second call. Like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I don't know why they denied it. It's like it's it's like this, like. And that's why we say it's so crushing. Because it was too expensive. Oh, too expensive. Automatic. No. Yeah. And that's what that's what that's the stuff that's soul crushing for us is like. Even though, even the ones that we can try to do, like the stuff we're literally following guidelines, we're literally following everything around us and we're still denied. And it's just like, the system is just broken. And, and I think that, and, you know, then there's like a lot of, I mean, I would love to get your thoughts on this. Like, you know, physician owned hospital systems. There's like a lot of, like, there's a big push for that. And then people are like, oh no, we don't want that because this and that. And I'm like, what is the problem right you know like obviously there's always going to be bad actors and there's always there's going to be but you can't you can't you can litigate for that right with value-based care and even insurance models right mm -hmm. will stop certain things from happening but i think that when you have when you have incentives that are aligning it only helps the patient in the long run and that's really all we're trying to do we're just trying to help the patients but right now the system doesn't in align with incentives to help the patients the p system just aligns with how much money we can make right now Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, starting out, what we're looking at it, it's simply a lot like what Netflix did, right? So Netflix was like the future of watching TV and movies is streaming. But nobody's doing that right now, right? And if we ask people to sign up for these memberships at $8 a month, and we offer them only streaming, like, you know, the technology just wasn't there, things weren't ready for that. So they said, we'll ship you DVDs. Is that what you want? We'll ship you DVDs. Even though they're stupid and we don't want to do it, we will do it. And that was kind of like the in, right? And then people signed up. And then as the streaming services grew, they were really happy to, to switch over and no longer receive DVDs in the mail anymore. I think that similar model kind of has to start in healthcare, where you start with a hybrid model where physicians can do some DPC or private pay or value-based care um, up to the point that people are comfortable with it. But there will be cases where patients request to use their insurance because that's what they know. And their employer provides them with insurance and they you can tell them all day, like, you're getting ripped off. You're paying out of pocket hundreds of dollars a month and paying these huge deductibles and never getting the value from that right and like you could tell them that but they are like no i don't see it it comes directly out of my paycheck and so they want to be able to use their insurance so when people want to be able to use their insurance we want to be able to accept that insurance when people start really understanding what it means to create relationship with physicians to trust the physician that they're working with to provide them with value for their money um, that's really when you can start transitioning over to the value-based care because there's no trust inherent in the system. 
right? Like, because there's no communication, there's no connection. I send off my check to some nameless organization or it comes out of my paycheck. I go see some doctor who maybe comes in and out of the system, they get shuttled off to some other doctor. Like there's no trust, there's no relationship building there. So when there's no trust, then there's no, like direct pay starts to fail, right? So like in order for me to pay you, Zane, I have to trust that whatever money I give you, you're going to give me what I paid for <laughs> in exchange. And so like that's really where the relationship building comes in for direct payment model. So we want to start that way um, and then kind of go from there. As far as physician-owned hospitals, I think that's that's along the similar vein, right? Like as patients learn to trust physicians again and trust healthcare again, they will want that physician to be delivering their care across any number of clinical settings, whether that's hospital or hospice and home, um, whether that's you know their long-term care within their home, or when they do go to a facility to know that the physicians there are either part of the same caring network or are the personal physician that they already have a relationship with. So I think that that is kind of a direct offshoot of the product that we're creating. Yeah, no, and I think that, and I love your analogy of the Netflix thing, and because it it is it it, it makes a lot of sense, right? And then because you're kind of creating a new, it's almost like I mean, I mean to us it's new, but it's you know DPC was how everything started, and then now we kind of went right. to this route. But I mean, for the majority of us, it is new, right? And you have to build that trust. And the funny thing is, with and this is kind of going, and but this would turn everything the way we normally interact with stuff, right? You get told what the price is you agree to the price and then you pay for that, right? Right now it's kind of like, hey, I need this life-saving life thing. Doctor has no idea how much it costs. The patient has no idea how much it costs. The insurance company kind of knows how much it costs, but they will not tell you because there's so many, oh, you gotta meet this, 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 this criteria. And then at the end you get this bill three months later and you have to kind of like relive your traumatic experience. Then mm -hmm. you pay it and then you get another bill and then another bill, another bill. like this would kind of bring us back to what everything is like, right? Like I, I give this example of imagine going to a hotel and then them telling you like, oh yeah, we'll send you the bill three weeks after you leave. Would anyone yeah. stay at that hotel? No, no one no. would. Why would, why are we doing this with our health? Like, why is this something mm -hmm. that we have all agreed is the normal? And I just don't understand it. No, I agree. And like, I have that, like happened to me personally. I gave birth to my son in January of 2022 and then we were re-hospitalized due to the fact we never should have been sent home in the first place. And we were still getting bills in December related to that care event because like, oh, well, we build the insurance for this, but then they didn't pay this amount. So you're left over. This is what's left over after the re insurance refused to pay because it was our mistake, but you're still responsible for it, even though it was our mistake. And there's whole companies, you know, one that I've talked to in particular called Peachy for patients that are truly addressing this problem, right? Like they're helping patients fight these unknown bills. But what if there were no more unknown bills? Like, hey, you're coming to stay at our hospital. An overnight stay costs X. Like this care costs why? And like you're told up front, you're exactly right. Patients used to ask me that in the urgent care. Like if I get this test, blood test, and I get this blood test for what you think I have, how much does it cost? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like I have no idea. Like I could tell you how much Quest charges for it, um, but I don't know what rate they agreed to with your insurance company. I don't know what's going to be left over after your insurance company decides whether or not they're going to pay for it. And even for private pay people, the answer is usually not that straightforward, you know? And so it it's so crazy to me that that we live in this black box. It's like, oh, but if you go to this radiologist here, you'll pay $500. If you go to this one down the street, you'll pay $200 for the exact same thing. And, and yes, we all say like, oh, you should shop for healthcare, you should shop for healthcare, but that's the last thing on your mind when your loved one is sick or you are sick. Like you're not thinking like, oh, let me just call up these three hospitals and figure out which, you know, like it's just, it's not a thing, right? Like, yeah. and it's just, it's just frustrating anyways. Um, but I, let's so, let, price transparency needs to be part of what we offer at Vital Health. 
Yeah. We already knew that. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, no. So let's get back to Vital Health. Like, so how many, um, so you said you have a bunch of, um, I don't remember the exact term you use, but like you have a bunch of physician groups that are part of it. How are you guys nationwide right now? Yeah, so we invite physicians um, pretty much from, you can be practicing anywhere. Um, it's really great when you're working in telehealth um, specific because we are currently 100% digital practices, right? So it helps if you're multi-state licensed. Most of our physicians are multi-state licensed or in the process of becoming multi-state licensed. Um, and then we have a variety of ways that we help the physicians starting out, right? So while you're first building your practice, you may want to take some independent call. So um, we have some telehealth companies that we contract with. Uh, the physicians set their rates and they can contract directly with those telehealth companies. Um, but yeah, they're lo basically looking for doctors all over the country. So we're not specifically in one area. Um, I would say that we're in California, so it's a lot of people that we do end up working with can be out here in California, but we're also contracted in New York and um, out east, other places in the southeast. So we're really location agnostic at this point. Awesome. So then uh, if I'm a if I'm a physician that wants to, um, you know, contact you guys, how does that process work? Like the onboarding process? Yeah, so it's really simple, actually. You can just come to our website, uh, www.vitalhealth.com, um, and just click Join Now. And our entry level is actually free, so you can start communicating with other physicians in our doctor's lounge, which is the community that I talked about, um, accessing resources there, accessing information for other physicians. We're going to be um, working up some some CME as well. So doctors always need continuing medical education. We're going to make sure that's available to them starting at the free membership. You can also start uploading your credentials to your blockchain wallet um, and looking for telehealth jobs if that's something that you're interested in. So all that's available for free. At any time, you can upgrade your membership without talking to anyone <laughs> and um, looking at the membership, uh, whether it's an enhanced or premier, and um, that would be listed on the website um, within the doctor's portal. So we don't list any prices or anything like on the main website, but for physicians, um, we do list that within our physician portal. So once you've joined for free, um, you can have access to the pricing and also um, all of the benefits that come at each level and start working to design what package works for you. I'm always available. So anyone who joins for free, it's a welcome email, which includes the ability to book 30 minutes with me. So if maybe you don't know what you want or you're not sure what your benefits are of becoming a Vital Health member. So join for free and get 30 minutes of my time. So it's a pretty good deal, I think. I think that's a great deal. I mean, there's nothing that you you literally have nothing to lose at this point at that mm -hmm. point. Right. So I'm just a nerd. So I just want to ask a little bit. So like the blockchain wallet thing, I love mm -hmm. blockchain. I think there's and I think this is the credentialing piece is a great use of it because I mean, I don't have to explain to you why, but uh, mm -hmm. have you seen any people like, like when you say, oh, this, do you guys present it to them like a blockchain wallet? Because people are like uneasy with blockchain or they don't really understand mm -hmm. it. Like, it's just a general question in general. Like, have you, how has that been with physicians? I haven't seen anyone um, question that it's a blockchain wallet. I think, you know, there's a few different blockchain partners out there. Um, we are kind of, partner agnostic, mm -hmm. right? Like we, we started with one partner who doesn't seem to be executing the way that we thought that they were going to. So yeah, I, I get it why people might be a little bit hesitant to utilize a service because it's a new service. Um, but we, we keep our eyes and ears open. We found another company that, that is quite a bit more established. Um, and what we like about them is they do integrate with CAQH and um, other credentialing platforms that physicians are already very comfortable with and very familiar with. So if all your credentials are already in a CAQH file somewhere, then we can easily import those um, into your blockchain. But I haven't had anybody come back to us and be like, well, I don't want my credentials in a blockchain. I think this is from a security standpoint um, and from just an ease of repetitive use, right? So like if you want to be a telehealth doctor and you want to use one platform, but then you want to 
easily contract yourself for gig work. We know that the typical credentialing process for a telehealth company or a health system can take weeks to months, depending on how long it takes to get the primary source verification. Like some states are a lot slower than others when it comes to verifying your license. And so if the telehealth provider can't verify your license, then you can't start work. If we've already done that for them, like verified your license, done all the primary source verification, and we've stamped that as, as done in the blockchain, then that adds some um, credibility to it. Um, it adds some trust within the system. So that company can say like, oh, okay, this has been stamped and sealed at this time point. We don't need to re-inquiry it at this point. Yeah, no, I think, like I said, I think this is a great use case for the blockchain for credentialing and such. And then also, um, I don't know if you guys do it, but like, you know, also like when you're sending off scripts, like your credentials are linked with that and it's really hard to break. So no, I mean, that was, that was sorry for the aside. I just, that's no, just, it's a, perfect. but, um, so where was I going to go? So you guys, you, so you guys are telehealth first platform, right? So is there, mm -hmm. is, is, do you guys only do telehealth or is there, is there a plan to go hybrid? Is or are you guys going to be sticking with telehealth right now? You know that there's always the possibility. I cannot divulge too much, you know, outside <laughs> of that. But um, I think that telehealth is a tool, right? Just like a stethoscope. There are times when you use a stethoscope, like to listen to heart and lung sounds or bowel sounds. Um, it can be used kind of okay in other situations. I think I saw this example, um, somebody put, you could kind of use it as a reflex hammer, right? Like if you know what you're doing, um, but you can't really use it to test for blood in the stool, right? Like it would be horrible for that. There's absolutely no functionality for that. Like you're gonna need a hemocult test. Um, so the same thing with telehealth, right? Like I can use telehealth probably about 85% of the things that I need to accomplish as a physician. Um, you can get an amazing history, you can develop relationship with a patient and, you know, the studies and the textbooks and everything have said that about 85% of diagnosis is in fact from a really good patient history. So if you have a good relationship, you'll have access to um, their exposures, their lifestyle factors, you can get a really good diagnosis that you might not be able to get in person through telehealth. But then there are those other situations that other 15% where, yeah, you or somebody will need to put hands on the patient, will have to apply a tool to the patient um, in order to, to get the rest of the diagnosis. So we can obviously order labs and radiology through telehealth. So that probably takes care of another, you know, five to 10% or so. Um, you could employ physician um, extenders, we call them telepresenters. So that's somebody who would go into somebody's home. I think that's a real job of the future, right? Like they're wondering what all these people with low skill level who can't be cashiers because automation is going to take their job. Like, what are they going to do? I think they could easily be trained in telepresentation um, to help physicians get the information they need. But yeah, there's still going to be those people who maybe need a hands-on treatment. Well, if you need a hands-on treatment, you're going to have to come in at some point. So we know that the necessity is there um, and that we're going to need to leave it up to the physician to decide how much of their practice they want to do virtually and how much of it they want to do in person um, and working to develop solutions with our um, community geared towards that. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of things can be done with telehealth um, because, I mean, and, and like I said, you, like you said, the history is really vital. And so that kind of brings me up to the next question I have, is there like a patient portal to, to what you guys are doing? Yeah. So our technology, it was actually initially deployed in occupational health. So it has the physician facing side. It has a patient facing side. It actually has an employer facing side, which makes it really cool for DPC programs, right? Because a lot of times employers want to know what's the ROI on this, on this program. Like they're paying for a value-based program. And they kind of want to see like, what, what am I getting for that? What is the health of my population? So we could potentially show population health statistics um, that are, don't have PHI, right? So we're not going to show them like 
you know, Mr. Smith has been off of work for three weeks due to his COVID infection, right? But we could show them at a population level, like these are many people we were able to keep at work. This is how many people, um, you know, were able, able to receive care via telehealth versus ending up in a hospital. And that's the kind of stuff that really self-employed um, companies want to see because, or not, sorry, self-employed, self-insured. So self-insured employers need to be able to see that, that, that you're keeping people out of the hospital, that you're keeping them out of more expensive care delivery places, that you're limiting the amount of lab and x-ray that you have to order because everything that's not part of the membership that they paid for is an additional cost to them out of their pocket, right? So a self-insured employer pays a TPA to essentially look like their insurance company, but every single thing that is paid for by the TPA comes directly out of their pocket. So they're very interested in this type of model um, and showing them those kinds of, of metrics can really help keep them involved and engaged in the model um, and help them to bring it to other locations as well. So um, we have that as part of it. We have a healthcare coaching module so physicians can be matched for their patients with a healthcare coach who meets the criteria for chronic care management for their patient. So the physician doesn't have to deliver CCM directly. They can actually work with the healthcare coach to help their patients lower their medicines, lower their weight, um, lower their stress, meet other healthcare related goals. And the health coach can provide that information back to the physician via a portal. Very for lots cool. of different views. Yeah, you know, that's, that sounds really awesome. Um, do you guys help pay, uh, like if, do, do you, do you guys help like providers get like attached to like employers or anything like that? Like, cause I guess I'm not, maybe not asking this question properly if they want to go like DPC, right. So then you have to kind of like establish relationships with like different hospital systems, like be able to work there and, you know, admit patients labs and all that stuff. Is that, is that a service that you guys also provide? Yes, that is something that we would work with them okay. um, to make sure that they are, like I said, credentialing, contracting, um, and provider enrollment is all part of our initial fee. As far as connecting them directly to employers, um, that's a step that we're moving towards, right? Like, we never want to create a medical group. Again, like I said, that has all those, you know, inherent issues as far as like, quality assurance and you're reporting to this person and but we do want to be able to help physicians as individuals and as independent people connect to patients um all over the country who share the same values that they do right and those patients potentially work for different employers or they want to pay out of pocket so for us it's all about finding those different connection points and then facilitating that for the physicians um, if they want us to, or, you know, if you just want to go out there and, you know, do your social media marketing, a lot of people are, are amazing at that. And we also know a lot of people who are really good at teaching that. So we can always connect our physicians to those resources um, and help them create a brand and help them create their own connections directly with patients. So maybe they want to do something that's more cash-based, like, obesity medicine or lifestyle medicine or functional medicine. And we want to connect them with branding, with marketing materials, um, and, and help them create that voice. That's, that's different maybe than what other people are looking for. So I really talk to physicians a lot when I meet with them initially about their authentic values and their goals and how to go out there with that authenticity intact because that's not something that physicians are used to right when we work for a hospital we're just nameless internal medicine doctor one and nameless internal medicine doctor one is fully replaceable by nameless internal medicine doctor two and we don't care that you're interested in veganism and yoga and meditation like the hospital system doesn't care so physicians learn to hide that side of them in order to fit in and in order to, to keep their job and keep their credibility, quote unquote. What patients are looking for is Dr. Bussey, right? Like they're looking for someone whose values align with theirs. 
they're going to have better health outcomes. They're going to have a better relationship with you. Um, and our goal is to facilitate that connection. So the more authentic you are in showing up, the better I can help you attract the patients who will get the most benefit out of a relationship with you. Yeah. Just like a dating service, basically. Yeah. Um, no, and I agree with you. I think a lot of patients now, especially like our generation and especially the people younger than us, Generation Z, um, or yeah, I think that's what they're called. Um, they're all about, you know, personalized everything, right? And because, I mean, they grew up in it. We are, we kind of grew up halfway into it. I mean, the majority of our life has been in the personalized area. Like everything has, every not has to be, but we prefer things to be catered to us, right? Yep. And right now medicine is not that. Medicine is, um, it's funny how in medicine we're dealing with human beings and every human being is different, but we mm -hmm. treat everyone the same and it never works when i think a lot of us fight against it but we are forced almost beaten into that same box that you know you need to throw everyone in that box and um mm -hmm. so i yeah i agree with you i think that there are i mean every it's up to you to decide right it's you you can go to whoever you want and that's the way it should be right you shouldn't be forced mm -hmm. to go see me you whoever like if you don't like me you can go to somebody else if you don't you know like like you should have that option right because it's such a personal thing, healthcare, but we make it so, we not only dehumanize, I, I mean, maybe you can talk to this too, like when we're getting trained, we're almost taught to dehumanize our patients. And then for, with that, we all also dehumanize them in the sense that we just dehumanize healthcare in general, like mm -hmm. where we are just a number and so are they. And then it's just like this conveyor belt of everyone just not being happy with the system. And it's literally what is keeping us alive. Like that should not be the way it's treated. Yeah, I think part of it is that the training system, like you said, it's it's dehumanizing to the individual who's going through it. Like it's abusive. It's it's morally and physically degrading. Um, you're taught to ignore your basic human needs for food, sleep, um, for long periods of time. You're essentially treated like a floating head. Um, and how are you supposed to help sick bodies and sick people when now you're being treated like a floating head who can diagnose just like little pieces of different problems rather than a whole patient? And, you know, really what I found in my initial training, you know, I, I started off really wanting to go into psychiatry because I thought psychiatry was more holistic, I guess, was like not knowing right before medical school. I, I thought, oh, I'm going to go in. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to learn about their lives. I'm going to learn about what brought them here. Like essentially, I thought I was going to be like a psychologist <laughs> <laughs> and and prescribe meds if they needed it. Um, and then I went to my clinical rotation on psychiatry and I saw just a whole bunch of prescribing and a whole bunch of shoulder shrugging and uh, like all this like and the patients are just sitting there in the hospital because this was an inpatient unit right they're just sitting there in the hospital basically suffering um and we're trying all these things to help them but those are very severe cases right who are hospitalized but as you go out into the to the outpatient world it's a lot of the same right like try this medicine for two weeks if that doesn't work come back and we'll try a different one and i just i couldn't stand it it was awful and i was like you know what if i'm going to treat people like a collection of symptoms and body parts, I'm just going to go into surgery, right? Like in surgery, it's so nice and neat. Like you take these big blue drapes and you section off the entire body, except for the teeny little spot that you want to cut into, right? For sterility purposes. But it, in essence, takes you away from the person and focuses you entirely on the organ or organs that you're cutting into. And that was a big draw for me at the time. Like I wanted that. I wanted to be disconnected from the experience of the person until the person was fixed. And then I could see them in, in clinic and they would be like, doctor, you fixed my hernia or you took out my tumor and thank you so much. You know, then they're a person again. So that was good. But when you're in the operating room, a lot of what you're doing is kind of dependent on like that depersonalization. 
that dehumanization that you're doing. And like I said, not to knock surgeons in any way, it's like kind of a vital point per portion of what you do. Because if every single time you were saying like, this is Mr. Syed who has this tumor and he has four kids. And if we, you know, make one tiny mistake today, all those kids will be without a father. Like, I mean, it's true and you need to know that. And that weight of that is there and it's with you. But the pressure for some people may be crippling. Whereas it's just like, here we are with our square, we're going to take this tumor out. And if we succeed, everyone will be happy, you know, and like going into that, it felt like what needed to be done. But we know that what needs to be done is, is to create these human connections and to bring that connection back. And I'm like, I said, I'm not saying that's every surgeon or every doctor's point of view, but we're told a lot of times that if you connect too much, you're risking the outcomes of the patient and you're risking your own personal health and safety, right? So, so it's better if you just think of them as problem X. And then when you walk out of the room, you move on to problem Y and you're not necessarily taught to think about that. But at the same time, oh, we want you to, to use empathic communication skills and so show some compassion at the bedside for, yeah. the, for the problem. No, we need the human, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's hard, right? It's hard because it's not, it's not our training. And so to come back from that, what we really need is to focus back on ourselves first and to step back for a minute and realize that we are people and we have needs and that we're stepping over our own needs and our own boundaries in order to accomplish a job that makes revenue for someone else. And when we start to recognize ourselves as whole people with needs and how it feels when we're disconnected or not listened to or, you know, boxed off, then we're saying, hey, that doesn't feel good, right? Like now we're connected to that. Like, how does that feel? And once you're connected to that, like you can't go back. You can't treat patients in the same way ever again. And I think that that's really like the whole human treatment needs to come from physicians treating themselves as whole humans first. I agree with you. And I mean, there is a certain extent that we have to, um, disconnect ourselves because you know there's only so much you can take right as a normal human being can take but i think a lot of it also has to do with we have to disconnect ourselves because we know that we're going to try to do our best and we're going to constantly get stopped and mm-hmm. to like feel for somebody and you want to help for help them and then you are literally you have all the power right we're told we have the power like as healthcare mm-hmm. professionals to help people we have like this hero complex right but when we get dropped into the system we we get slapped across the face by, nope, this is not this. We can't do this. This is not going to reimburse. And that hurts. Like, honestly, like I couldn't deal with it anymore. That's one of the reasons why I left clinical medicine. It wasn't the work or anything. It was just the fact that I had to keep saying no to people. And then to your point, we're told like, hey, you have to decompartmentalize things, but then you have to be empathetic. You can't just turn those things on and off. They're like, you can't be decompartmentalized and empathetic at the same time. And those things are going to cross over and you get to, you, you know, people get mad at you because you're like, oh, you, it looks like you don't care. And then the other people mm-hmm. are like, oh my God, this guy, you know, why are you caring so much? It's like this weird, it's just like, you're constantly, you're never right. You're, you're never, you're never right. And it's just like, I don't think people really understand that at all. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that, that there's a lot of, of both, like, like I said, it comes down to, that's a form of emotional abuse, right? Like to be disempowered. Um, and to to feel helpless in a situation and for someone else to to literally take your power away to act in a situation it's it's abuse like it's traumatic it's hard to handle um and i don't think that that should be the way that medicine operates you know or else i wouldn't be here it's a it's a huge huge undertaking and i realize like hey i'm fighting against Goliath here, but it's important. It's important that physicians feel seen, that they are heard, um, and that they're allowed to take 
power back in caring for their patients and to make whatever connections we can. Um, I'm all about collaboration. So I'm constantly on the lookout for partnerships that make it easier for us to say yes, right? Like whether we're going directly to pharmaceutical companies, whether we're going directly to radiology providers um, and making those connections there, like we just want it to be easy to say yes to your patient. And as far as, you know, how do you, how do you disconnect? I think it's really important that when we go into a room with an individual and we understand that that's sacred space, right? Like that, that is two humans interacting with each other. You need the intimacy to be there. You need to be able to create um, emotional connection with that person. But yeah, at the same time, you, you can't take it all home with you. So I think having connection and deconnection rituals um, is very important to physicians and care providers. Like you have to be able to be fully present and to practice presence, whether that's through meditation or breath work, um, to gain that skill. And then also then to move your presence from the patient to the next patient or back to your family when you get home or back to yourself when yourself needs your presence. So I think once you, you have that familiarity with what presence is and what it feels like, and you've practiced it because it's a skill, like you have to be able to practice it, then you can direct that presence wherever you need it. Yeah, no, I think that, I think we, I wish that it was, I think, I wish we were trained to kind of take care of ourselves or at least give us the tools to kind of be like, Hey, these are things that people try. You might, you might think it's weird now, but maybe in practice, mm -hmm. it'll like, Oh, when you're, when you're sitting there with your hands in your head, like about to cry, like maybe something will come to you. And I think that we really need to do all of that, but that's why I'm excited about like DPC, you know, hopefully value-based care can be what it's made to be and not gutted. Like everything else seems to keep getting, um, and because, you know, it is bring, it's bringing the power back to the healthcare professionals, the people that were, you know, we are trained to take care of the patients, right? Not, you know, it's, I, I, I get sick and tired of people that are never seen a patient, never looked at a patient's eyes, telling them bad news or telling them something's not covered, coming and telling us this is how we should be doing things. And it's really frustrating to me. And, um, I, I'm all for the whole movement of taking power back and, you know, giving it back to us because we are the ones with all of the, we are the ones with all of the consequences, but none of the power to change the system. Like we, we get in trouble for when something goes wrong. We don't, no one cares if things are going right, because that should just be status quo. But yet we have, we are powerless to fix the system, change the system or anything, but we have to deal with every, all the consequences that it brings. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. That's something that that's not looked at enough. Like, and also, like you said, it's not, it's not celebrated, right? Like you're not given like a star, like you you didn't kill anyone today. Good job, yeah. <laughs> you know? And like, I, I did find that a lot in my residency, right? Like I wasn't recognized for everything good I did, oh, right? Yeah. All the patients I cared for, all the people who went home to their families with no complications, who didn't die. Like you get harped on for every tiny mistake that you made, every fallible human thing that you could possibly do is stored up against you. And you start to look at yourself as a series of um, inadequacies rather than all of the things that you are capable of. And, and as you mentioned earlier, it's about a toolbox, right? Like there are so many tools out there and you have to be able to to see what's in your toolbox. And that's what we want to create at Vital Health, right? Like here's a toolbox of things, whether that's for you personally, like personal development or for your professional practice, um, here's your toolbox. And you look at what you see in the toolbox, you get to select like what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And you can practice using those things because in that moment, like you said, where your head is in your hands, and you, you can't think clearly, you can't see clearly to move on to the next thing. You have to have practiced what will you do next in that situation. And if you've never had access to the tools, then you have nowhere to go. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
Yeah, and I know we're kind of running against time, but you know, if you had, I just want to ask you one last question. If you had to tell yourself, like, you know, obviously you've gone through a lot, you know, in your career, you've seen a lot. If you had to give yourself any advice when you were coming out of med school or getting into med school, what would you, what would you tell yourself? Gosh, like in medical school or even just like in daily life, um, I think the most important thing that I've learned is just to stay present because every single time I've tried to see into the future and I've made all these plans, right? Like five years, 10 years in the future. And I look back now, five years ago, 10 years ago, I'm none of those things or I'm all of those things or I'm some of those things but my life is still beautiful, right? When I was coming into medical school, I'm like, I'm going to be a psychiatrist. Okay. Five years later, I'm a surgical resident. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a breast surgeon who does all this research. And then I had retinal detachments, you know, and five years after that, I'm working in telemedicine, you know, and five years after that, I'm running a company and I have a child that I never thought that I was going to have. Like life is constantly evolving, constantly changing. And if you're inflexible, if you if you don't have your tools, like I said, in your toolbox and you, you feel inflexible, you're gonna be met with a lot of stress and anxiety because life change is stressful, whether that's positive or negative. And we don't want anyone to be felt like, to feel like they're they're being pulled downstream and helpless. Like I want everyone to know that no matter where they are right now or where they're heading, like things will look drastically different in a year, five years, 10 years than where you are now. And you can make a choice today that will set you on a different path. 100%. One of our teachers used to tell us, if you make plans, life happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, and it, not in a bad way, but like, you know, you can plan out your whole life, but life will always come in the way in in a good way or a bad way. Like, but you know, it's kind of like just stay in the moment, just enjoy what you're doing now and just take things as they come. So I yeah. definitely can resonate with that. But uh, if anyone wants to take every, if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way of doing mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Like definitely reach out to me through my LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to reach me. I don't really stay active on a lot of social media platforms, but LinkedIn is a really good way um, to find me. If you're interested in Vital Health, like I said, a really good way is just to to join for free. You can join for free on our website. You'll get a welcome email. In the welcome email, um, you'll be connected to me, to my schedule. Um, and that's probably the two best ways to reach me. So if like you're not sure you want to join for free, like I said, it's, there's no there's no obligation. Um, and you're just not sure you want to take that step, then just reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I'm always happy to talk to anyone who has questions about vital health, going independent, or even just taking better care of themselves. Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Uh, This was an amazing conversation. Thanks, Zane.